0: And welcome to the kane and rinse podcast this is volume 7 issue 302 on bleed and bleed 2. Uh, you can play along with the show upcoming shows uh the next five in fact are res 1080 snowboarding and 1080 avalanche that's uh three turns Uh, And then we're cracking down on gangsters in Crackdown, and then the penultimate fantasy in Final Fantasy 2, and then after that, uh, another sequel of a series that is ongoing, uh, Resident Evil 2, also known as Biohazard 2, and we'll also be talking a little bit about Resident Evil 1.5, which is Biohazard 1.5, so pick out of that whichever... Nomenclature you care for. Uh, the rest of the schedule for volume 7 can be found at com. There you will find all manner of other things, including forums and uh, blog posts. Uh, the upcoming schedule, as mentioned, all sorts of stuff at cananrince.com. You can go there. If you would like to support us with more than thumbs up, pats on the back, and uh, general tweeting and stuff of goodness, uh, you can get the show a week earlier than regular podcast feeds for $1 or about 74 pence, about 89 cents in euros. Um, there are cents, right? Yeah. Uh, per month at patreon.com slash cane Uh Just to be clear, there's th- the only difference is you will have access to the feed a week early. But if you would rather wait the week and get... The podcast on your regular podcatcher, iTunes, wherever you you grab podcasts from, you're more than welcome to do that and you won't be missing out on anything in terms of show content. Um, If you would like something in return for some money, but would still like to support Ken and Rinse, we have a Spreadshirt shop at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash Cain and Rinse. T-shirts and bags and stuff there, which are very nice and might get you the odd intriguing glance. Who knows? Uh, there is a PayPal button and Amazon affiliate link coming soon. Watch out for those. So again, if you'd like to throw us a tip or would like to just click through and buy Amazon stuff and have a few uh, pennies come our way, you could, you could do that as well, hopefully in the future. Uh, the other place that you should check out uh, is our Sound of Play podcast feed, where we talk all things game music and more importantly, play some game music for, for you to enjoy. Uh, that's every Wednesday. Find that on a different podcast feed, but, uh, but yeah, look out for that. Uh, joining me, I'm James Carter, and uh, I've been talking far too much already, so let's introduce my cohorts for this evening. Uh, in issue 302, we have uh, blo- my blood brother, Darren Gargett. Bleeding heck. And watch out for the blood moon, it's Carl Moon. Hey guys. Blood references, because we're talking bleed. Uh, I've put spoiler warning... I'm not sure it's necessary, but if you don't like the idea of hearing about the story and mechanics of an action game with a very simple story, uh, then yeah, maybe go and take a couple hours and play the game's comeback. Uh, Probably not necessary, but hey. Um, Bleed is a game that was developed by Boot Disk Revolution, which is to the greater and lesser extent a one-man project. Uh, That man is Ian Campbell who is the designer, programmer, artist, and composer for Bleed. He has released uh, a sequel to that game, which we'll be talking about in a bit, but also the other game uh, he's known for is The Useful Dead, uh, which is a, a platforming game where you use the corpses of your failed previous runs as platforms to uh, to make future runs successful. It's- so uh, kind of kind of quirky platform, uh, quite cool. Available on, uh, I think Steam, but from uh, Boot Disk Revolution's website. If you want to check that out. Um, also worth mentioning, uh, Nephilim Studios helped with the Xbox One port for sure. I think the PS4 port and Switch port as well, but I don't know for sure. I couldn't find the the information for that, unfortunately. Uh, but certainly the Xbox One port, they are credited in the uh, in the credits, funnily enough. Publisher on the Steam and self-published version on the website, Boot Disk Revolution, but Digirati Distribution published the Xbox One, and again I think PS4 and Switch versions as well. They've helped bring the console versions to bear. Um, Ian Campbell, as I mentioned, mainly credited for everything on Bleed, um, but the victory and death stingers in the game, uh, when you either Victor or die. Um, win or die, obviously. I'm just being silly. Uh, Matt Gibson, credited for those. Um, thought it worth mentioning, Bleed was originally an Xbox, Live's, Xbox Live indie game. Uh, we haven't certainly often or possibly ever mentioned Xbox Live indie games on Caden Rince. Uh Sorry, 300 issues to check through. I couldn't spot one that I recognised, so apologies if we have. But I thought it just worth mentioning because for five years there maybe two of them it was a significant uh, project but but for five years there it was active um it originally started based around the xna game studio uh package for uh for developing xbox games xbox live games specifically uh in december 2006 uh, it became Xbox Live Community Games in November 2008, which is way earlier than I remembered this existing, um, right alongside indie games becoming a big thing on Xbox Live, uh, and was was stated to be a place for experimental and niche games to be um, distributed and sold. Um, even if you didn't have a publishing deal or you know you didn't necessarily think your game was going to sell big, it was somewhere you could put that. Uh, and then it was rebranded alongside XNA 3.1 uh, to become Xbox Live Indie Games in June 2009. And yeah, for, for from there until the end of the Xbox 360, it kind of got moved around in terms of prominence, but it was always there. Not that many titles I can think of off the top of my head that were Xbox Live indie games. Bleed is absolutely one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, One Finger Death Punch was one of the Silver Dollar games. Uh, Silver Dollar uh, game studio or Silver Dollar developers uh, went through a period there for a couple of years where they were putting out like three and four games a year. It seemed like every couple of months they had another game out. Uh, And, Kind of like Xbox Live indie games in general, it was a bit kind of hit or miss on, on quality. Sometimes you'd get a really cool idea and it worked, and other times maybe it didn't quite so much. Um, I will get on to whether we think Bleed was one of those Xbox Live indie games that worked, but I just wondered for, um, for you, Darren and Carl, whether Xbox Live indie games made much of an impression before it closed in, uh, well, late last year, actually, but uh, it kind of went the way of the dodo after the 360
1: mm. stopped being current gen. So the one for me that really stands out is mm. Mount, Mount Your Friends. Um, sure. I always yeah. found it quite criminal that it never made its way to the, you know, uh, it, it Blig kind of seems like the the shady market it's like you know you've got a high street market and <laughs> xplig is always the alleyway bit that you never really go down but you do once every now and again to see what's down there and i found um mount your friends <laughs> i sound quite disrespectful to xplig then but that's kind of what it feels like um mount your friends was getting popular online i thought oh, i'm gonna try it out and it turns out to be one of the most you know humorous games i've ever played and sure, yeah. you know to not have achievements tied to that game is quite of um you know it, 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 there's a legitimacy to me when, when with, with Xbox games, when you get achievements and stuff, and so when you put a game on that hasn't got on it kind of feels like, like you've, you're like you're playing um like a like a copied game on the PS One. This is a weird yeah. kind of like <laughs> this isn't right sense to Xbox Live indie games, and I hate I hate saying that kind of thing because making games is hard. But you know, mount your friends should have been bleed, should have been other games should have been actual arcade games as opposed to this kind of side pocket, um. In terms of yeah. in terms of lowlights, <laughs> there's a lot on there. Me and my brother Ryan, we <laughs> used to play them. We used to do the trials because you get a trial of everyone, and they're only seventy p or whatever. But we we do the trial because that's a yeah. lot of seventy p's to laugh at. Um, sure, there was some terrible games on there. There was like some yeah. weird horror games where someone's taking photos of their front room and kind of like stop animation ghosts and stuff but like it was just a man in a (laughs) (laughs) duvet like he had a go and he got some games out there and hopefully he's making games you know for professionally for an actual company now but yeah yeah. really scary one two three and maybe four were not really scary
0: (laughs) (laughs) not really scary at all no (laughs) really funny uh yeah i I think it's it's safe to say the idea was you could kind of throw anything up there as long as it
1: more or less
0: worked, and yeah, the the notion that I mean, games existed well before achievements, but somehow, yeah, I get what you mean. It, it kind of it, achievements on Xbox now do legitimize the game, and it does feel like well, it, maybe it cheapened it by not having them, but yeah. I don't know how you'd implement them when people could throw mm-hmm. up kind of anything, anything on there. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Um, as we've seen in some cases, you know, uh, Steam greenlight games very quickly became here's your steam achievements the game um mm-hmm. which is just kind of a weird thing but yeah steam green light would be a reasonable t- touchstone for what xbox live indie games tried to do but you know a, a good few years earlier um carl how about yourself any uh, memories of xbox live indie games yeah i've I, it's weird because i feel somewhat like darren
2: um that Although it's ridiculous to say there was like a lack of legitimacy about the titles that were released on there. And as a result, I kind of ignored the the, the whole x scene more than yeah. I should have because there was just as much chance of, of games being original and entertaining than anywhere else and for a downside like cheaper and you're sort of giving someone the confidence uh, to go on further. And I mean, there were a couple that I, I picked up and played um, Bleed, uh, was one that I never picked up, but was very much aware of. Um, Applejack, uh, Wizard,
1: oh, Wizard friends, oh, good games.
2: Yeah, so the, I mean, um I th- I've got a funny feeling that there was another one um, that was a bit like, you know, uh, River City Ransom. It was something like that. But I can't remember the name of it. So, there were, there were a couple of games that I picked up on, you know, Xbox Live indie games. Um, it seems ridiculous that Bleed wasn't one of them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, obviously, there were some on there. And I, I liked the originality that a service like Xbox could give. And it's kind of a shame. It, it's one of those things, isn't it? You don't know how much you miss it till it's gone, regardless of how much you used it. And that, I think. It's the kind of thing that you know, whichever side of the platform battle you live on, it's something that the Xbox could probably do with right about now um, for new original games that could at least be marketed. But yeah, it's something I really liked, but never really won me over as much as I was likely to just go out and buy a full price retail game and stick with that for a longer time. And I would just dip in and out of of sort of the Xbox Live indie titles.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, May as well introduce uh, this as a concept now because uh, they are going to come up several times through this, I am sure. Um, Part of the reason that I knew what was coming out on Xbox Live Indie Games was because of uh, Chet and John's reassuringly finite gaming playlist. they, by nature of the podcast, uh, ha- played each 10 games every single week that they had to talk about. And that meant a lot of times they needed very quickly to play a couple of games to make up their, their 10. Um, the podcast's no longer around now, but anyone who's followed UK podcasts uh, of the video gaming variety might well have heard of them. Uh, and it meant that they often uh, fired up a demo on Plague uh, and just tried it and uh, and, and came back with as you would expect, mixed results on whether they were good or not. But uh, (laughs) I think any game on there that I knew uh, about was very likely because they mentioned it. And uh, in in no small way they are responsible for uh, this issue of the Ken Rinse podcast as well, and we'll come to that in in a bit. But uh, worth getting their names in there early. Uh, That's Chet and John Denton, who uh, you can find On Twitter, uh, John on uh, the Computer Game uh, Show podcast at the moment. Um, So yeah, Bleed, originally an Xbox Live indie game game, um, released uh, 12th December 2012, so more than five years ago now, um, and then came to PC uh, February 2013, but that was just on the Boot Disk Revolution site. You could download the file uh, DRM free, I think. And then Steam later in 2013 on the 3rd of July. Uh, and not until last year uh, did did consoles see this game again after the uh, X-Blake debut uh, when it came to PS4 and Xbox One uh, on the 22nd and 24th of August 2017, respectively. And then Switch version on the 14th of December 2017, which I haven't tried, but it seems like a game that probably suits the Switch, i got to say. Uh, so, Carl, your history with uh, Bleed. I think it's Bleed 2. We don't want to necessarily dive into the history separately, I don't think. Uh, yeah, so
2: as I mentioned, I was aware of the title Bleed as an ex-big title. It's something mm. that I'd seen floating around on Steam for a while now as well, but not something that I hadn't played. And I kind of stepped in late on this podcast, <laughs> um, decided I should probably play the The games beforehand rather than just flat out lie because we <laughs> wouldn't do that um so yeah my uh, my my first experience of playing bleed was what f- four nights ago uh, <laughs> where I played both bleed and bleed two for the first time and played them to completion um as mm. I, I say completion very very loosely in the sense that I completed the uh story mode on both on medium difficulty. Back to back, both quite short games. Um, so yeah, my my history is uh, usually one where I bought it at large. This is the complete opposite. I bought <laughs> it. I, I played this right before we recorded last week.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's great. And uh, yeah, uh, big thank yous to both of you for for playing this because as as mm. we'll hear in a sec, uh, this has been one I've been trying to get on the uh, roster for a while. Uh, Darren, how about yourself?
1: Yeah. So uh, when indie royale was a thing. Um, an old friend of mine, old, well, old boss of mine, Graham Boxall, he got hold of me via email and he said, I've got a lot of games to check out Darren. and I work for Indie Royale now and I've got a load of games to check out. Can you help me? I said, well, you <laughs> know, I'll give you some of my time. Yeah, I can't promise complete playthroughs of games, but I'll give you the, some decent titles to put on Indie Royale. So he'd fling me a bunch of codes for potential, you know, games to play and Bleed was one of them. And, um, I put it into Steam, um, I think. Or was it might have just been an executable, Well, I can't remember, and um, yeah. ended up just you know just playing the first level. And I got to the helicopter a bit, and I thought there's something to this game. Mm-hmm. And I emailed him straight back. I said, "Bleed is definitely the one out of this out of the bunch you sent me. Bleed is the one that you should have." And it ended up in the meteorite bundle in 2014, I think. Um cool. So I'm ho- I'm hoping that my you know my suggestion had some sort of influence, which it obviously did, I guess. Um, and made Ian Campbell a few more pennies through Indie Royale. I'm not too sure how well it did. But Indie Royale always seemed like second fiddle to humble bundle, obviously. But sure. it always yeah. seemed like it was doing all right. So, yeah, my first yeah. experience of Bleed was through a suggestion from through helping out a friend, which is quite nice. And then Bleed 2 yeah. I picked up in the 2017 winter sale um, in the run-up to this podcast. Yeah, and played them through one day and then a couple of days later i played through the second one and uh, yeah i haven't done much of the extra stuff around you know there's so much to these it's, they're quite short games but there's so much to do i've only played mm-hmm. i've only played through from start to finish in the story mode of both games sadly
0: yeah no, on normal
1: well, i should say on normal
0: <clears throat> yeah no that's uh, absolutely fine it's one of these where uh, much like next week's show A completion is a completion, but obviously if you want to spend much more time with a score attack game, then the world is your oyster. Uh, Mm -hmm. Same goes for Geometry Wars when we talked about those. Uh, Although they don't have a story mode, there's still kind of, there's a a bare minimum. You can play them and then the sky is the limit after that, but... Mm -hmm. but yeah, story mode is the game, so uh, so we will get on to talking about that in a second. Uh, as mentioned, uh, much like Darren, uh, another p- person's recommendation or uh, yeah, recommendation is is uh, responsible for me playing this, and it is absolutely uh, Chet and John uh, on their podcast. Uh, Bleed was one of the games that. Uh, obviously when you dive into something like steam Greenlight or xbox live indie games your expectations tend to be lowered um just because Mm -hmm. you don't know what you're getting often um and bleed was a game that they kind of uh were very pleasantly surprised by and obviously spoke very highly of um and that just flagged up to me the game's existence um and by the time i came to pick it up it would have already been available on pc but not on steam so sometime between december 2012 and uh, and um well i guess sometime after february 2013 probably sometime around then i ended up picking it up um and did the the old weird thing where you could add a game to steam even though it wasn't a steam game and it just appears in your library um and since picked it up on steam just to kind of formalize that rather than having the weird executable link. Um, and yeah, I absolutely have Chet and John to, to thank for playing this um, because I was taken with it right away um, and picked it up as soon as I heard it was out on Xbox one played through it again. There um, I've completed story modes um, on easy and normal on both Platform, yes, yeah, I did I did do easy and normal because um, <clears throat> you you do get some completions, but but you don't get scores put up next to the difficulty unless you actually complete the uh, the difficulty. So I went through, ran through on easy for some of the S rank achievements that you need to get on certain bosses are just a bit easier on easy, but we'll get to that sort of stuff later. Uh, yeah, and um, bleed two, I grabbed. Last year, when it became available, I pre-ordered it as soon as the pre-order went up on Xbox One, although it hasn't actually come out there yet. Um, And I didn't actually play it until a couple of weeks back and then replayed through uh, just over the weekend there to make sure I was fresh on its differences. But uh, yeah, a couple of games that I've absolutely fallen in love with. And hence my trying to get this show up and running. It was originally... Slated to be on, I must have been volume three because volume two would have been too early, I think. But it probably was slated to be on, I think it was like episode uh, issue two on uh, volume three. And uh, things just didn't quite work out with um, having enough people having played the game and ready to play it. Uh, guests, potential guests fell through and so kind of let it lie for a while but it's always been there and uh, in my one pick to get a game onto this uh, volume I, I thought why not take a stab at Bleed again so I have a, a massive thank you to say to both of you guys for allowing me to do this and obviously Leon, Tony and Jay for getting it onto the uh, the schedule um, that being said uh, reviews wise Bleeds has a Metacritic of about 75 it's one of those where it doesn't necessarily have enough reviews on different formats to get a Metacritic, but for the ones it does, it comes out about 75. Um, Game rankings, they fall between 75 and 80, so in that kind of pretty darn good, but not maybe, you know, outstanding. Um, There are some reviews that are incredibly glowing and others that are a bit more... um, uh, moderate we'll we'll say <laughs> um, just to give you an idea I don't think there's any that are that are terrible it's just one of those things where often with games that are built around one or two core mechanics they can feel a bit like there's not much to them I don't think Bleed's one of those but uh, there you go so what is Bleed we've talked about how we came to play Bleed and I've talked about wanting this show to come together for a while but what is it um I'll probably need you guys to help me out with this description. I've put down kind of run and gun style. Uh, Mm. It's definitely got platforming. Uh, The shooting is twin stick shooting. Or you can change the controls to to change that. But but by default is twin stick shooting Um, in the mold of kind of a Contra or Gunstar Heroes, something along those lines. Mm.
1: Is that fair to say? I lean towards Gunstar Heroes more than yeah. other ones because the other games kind of seem slow, like Metal Slug, Contra. They all kind of seem a bit slower, yeah. whereas Gunstar Heroes is kind of on this pace. Um, mm. To me, it kind of has a very Sega feel, these two games. The second one, yeah. more specifically, because you're always in a an airship and it feels like Sonic, but these games, <laughs> they kind of feel more like Gunstar Heroes, which you know is a Sega game. Well, it's a, it's a yeah. game on a Sega machine. And, sure, and, that's where it's known. Yeah, yeah, and later on on the PC. But, you know, it, it reminds me of Gunstar Heroes, which kind of had my backup at first because that game kicked me down and, you know, spat on me. <laughs> <laughs> I found it really hard. Um, but, you know, the, yeah, Bleed does remind me of Gunstar Heroes.
2: Yes, yeah, it reminds me more of something like Turrican, but crossed with, like... A Hotline Miami style, um, really aggressive, sure, as fast as you can, action game, combo yeah. building kind of thing. Yeah, And to some degrees, even with the way that you aim in the game, comes across like Hotline Miami, just on a 2D plane. Um, so, yeah, it definitely has that twin-stick shooter element to it, but it, it comes across as very much a hybrid. Um, something like a beautiful jaw with its... Sort yeah. of speed. Yeah, I can see that. Um would be a, a, a good touch point, I think, for for the style of of the two D combat, for the speed of it. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair,
1: yeah. Mm. Um, the, you know, it has its own style. It has its own flavour. You know, it is a platformy run and gun. But, the you know, the triple jump and or the, the kind of like the triple dash that um, Rin has yeah. is kind of unique to itself. And I, I found that really quite fascinating that they allowed from the off free boosts of yeah. Yeah. like uh, manoeuvrability. And you do have a lot of air control, which I really appreciated, um, especially later yeah. on when it gets a bit and bullet hellish. It's
2: kind of unusual as well, isn't it? Because jump and double jump are so common but then it feels almost alien to use a triple jump. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. you you there, there are periods of time where you forget you've almost got that last jump and then you've got sort of <laughs> the, uh, the the wall grab and wall bouncing that you can do on top of that it means that you can yeah. essentially traverse the plane very quickly.
0: Yeah, the, the wall jump and bounce doesn't eat up one of your your dashes therefore you can kind of hop up a surface and then still dash away from it so it's uh, useful. Um, yeah, I need to apologize to uh, Leon specifically, just because uh, he's always who I think of when I'm about to say this. Um, I've put on here in terms of running gun games to compare it to Contra, Turrican, Gunstar Heroes, Blaster Master, Metal Slug. Uh, Turrican's the only one of those I've actually played any of, and it's so vague a memory that I honestly couldn't tell you if it was similar or not. Um, Get out. Yeah, exactly. Sacked. Um, <laughs> fired. So where I went was Twin Stick Shooter and then because you've got a lot of bullets coming at you, sometimes an incredible number of bullets, and it's very movement-based. Um, I, I think bullet hell shmups are a reasonable thing to compare to, especially when you... So in this game, you can reflect some bullets, but so the colour of the bullets matters. Uh, The blue bullets in this game with the katana, you can bounce back, Um, but they're fairly few and far between. Uh, We'll get onto that maybe a little bit later on with the second game. Um. <clears throat> I did get a character action feel from it in terms of how you approach some of the rooms where, uh, obviously, dodging and mm-hmm. um, that dash, the the maneuverability is absolutely paramount. And whenever I think of characters that can dash and move as freely as this, I think of, like, uh, um, Mar- a Capcom versus, like, eight-way dash type thing. But this yeah. is... That, that, that's a reasonable um comparison in terms of the the character motion but with this you're it's not even eight way it you you can dash in any direction mm. and you can then control the dash as you go you can literally snake around a bullet and move really really freely um the the dash is not you know unidirectional e- even uh, once you 've started dashing, you can really kind of bend and control that uh, in the way you can a lot of platforming jumps, but to have that kind of freedom of movement to have three dashes, each one can obviously therefore be in a different direction and can move as you 're as you 're dashing uh, it's it 's really really struck me as something that i hadn 't personally played before. So yeah, I, I, it's it's weird to say, uh, in terms of run and gun, I guess the most recent example would be a Cuphead, but I think to say this game was like Cuphead would be uh, misleading, perhaps, mm, yeah. because Cuphead feels kind of so different in many ways the this, this setup's the same you are taking on enemies in a platforming environment and you are dodging bullets and making sure you're you know um hitting them with your own but that's it's that's real bare bones comparison i don't think it necessarily uh hence bringing up stuff like character action as a maybe a better example of how this feels versus a cuphead
1: um it very much reminded me of like, um, if, if, if Bayonetta, well, they had a Bayonetta 2D game, I think this is kind of a better example of if Bayonetta went 2D, this is kind yeah. of what it would be like. Cross with Mega Man, because she's going through the list of who she wants to take down to become the ultimate hero of all time. And <laughs> I kind of saw at yeah. one point the game being like a Mega Man structured game where you could pick any boss at any time. Uh, that would have been quite nice to pick off the list, kind of, yeah. as and when. You know, and I, I, just kind of saw her ticking off the list, kind of kill billish, you know, kind of like, yep, I've done that, yeah, I've yeah, done yeah, this, I've yeah. done that, and you know, <laughs> the, the manoeuvrability and just the way she, she bounces around and looks super cool while she's doing it, just reminded me of Bayonetta.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've heard more than one comparison to Bayonetta, which is weird because Bayonetta is so clearly, uh, um, I'm reluctant to say evolution, but a. Uh, uh, character action game in the vein of A Devil May Cry. Mm -hmm. And that's a very specific style of game that evokes specific things. And this is 2D. It's platforming, which those games aren't often really you are you are moving around and platforming but that's not really what it's seen as um but in terms of yeah combo building and uh especially in this in in bleed the score system means changing weapons if you want to get up to uh like an s rank and you do get ranks for your combat so in that sense again that's something that comes from character action mm-hmm. um or at least that's where i think of it you know your triple s rank and also all sorts of stuff um and that requires switching weapons, which again, you know, uh, Devil May Cry is something where mid-combo you are switching weapons. That does increase your your style rank, and that's very much what the, the rank system in this is. It's style points you're trying yeah. to get. Um, and there's the not getting hit and stuff as well, but that's the same for, you know, any run and gun or twin stick shooter game as well. But um, yeah. I thought it was just worth touching on what the genre of this is, because unlike, say, a Resident Evil, it's not something that a lot of people maybe will be familiar with. No. Before we get on to, Darren, you just touched on the kind of setup, the story, and and we mentioned Rin there as we were uh, describing the game. I thought it worth just talking about the aesthetic as well, because we've mentioned a lot of retro games if we want to put kind of a blanket term on them there uh, and I think part of part of fulfilling that notion of uh, harking back to those kind of games is the way the game looks and sounds and uh, the way the aesthetic comes across um, I, I guess just open question on the art and graphical style how did how did you feel Carl yeah it's it
2: I Love traditional-style 2D games, and this this does ape quite a lot. You know, uh, Mega Man's a, a perfect example of a game that it shares similarities with. Um, I already mentioned something like Hotline Miami, which it sort of has that high-contrast yeah. colour. And these, when they come to mix for this kind of game, it's very hit-and-miss. I either find an art style that I really like or one that I... You know, really dislike, mm-hmm. um, particularly when it comes to high contrast colours. I've mentioned numerous times that I struggle to play a fez for that reason. Sure, um, gives me blinding headaches, etc. Which would be a nightmare in a game like this where it is so quick. But when thankfully, you're focused on,
0: yeah, the, the, yeah, the character on the screen as well. It could be difficult, yeah.
2: And and thankfully, it's not a problem in this. Um, I like the main characters design. It somewhat reminded me of like a Guiana sister, which is. Quite an important title in my lifetime. <laughs> um, uh, the the traditional sort of worldscapes that you get. I'm not going to surprise anyone. You know, you one in the sky, one underground, one <clears throat> in them, you know that that those kinds of elements. But yeah. everything stays consistent from start to finish and it's really solid and I mean personally I preferred the slightly sharper elements of the art that we see in Bleed 2 um over over Bleed 1 uh, but it's it definitely has an appeal it won't be for everyone but I definitely took to it especially the uh, little quirks that you get in the little animations there's, a, there's there's it's clearly a lot of passion in that in in it where if you sort of break down the little touches the little mm. movements of the feet the the swipes of the arms and the you know the, the way that the character jumps uh i, I found incredibly appealing the more the mm. more i played it because um it 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 has the pace of a game where you're not necessarily looking at your character so yeah. just to quickly break it down for people who may not have seen it or may not be aware of it i found that there were sort of three things that you would look at um You'd glance at your character, you'd glance at the enemy, and then you'd glance at the space between and that the majority of the time you'd be glancing into that space. Yeah. It's somewhat similar to the, you know, the whole bullet hell thing where you don't need to look at your ship, you don't so much need to look at the enemy, but you need to see where you need see the pattern n- nothing you're else is to navigate. Yeah. yeah. Um and, and this is a game that sort of lives in that area. Um and when you hit that Zen like state, I found it an incredibly peaceful game to play <laughs> because of uh, the visual appeal of the aesthetic
0: yeah that's um, something that's often said about fighting games as well is when someone's new to fighting game uh, fighting games in general um, they'll look at their character all the time because they want to see whether their inputs are coming out on the screen if they're not looking at yeah. their hands. They'll be looking at their character. And then the next stage is you look at the opponents. you want to see what they're doing. And then actually when you get to any kind of high-level play, what you're doing is looking at the space between the characters and you're seeing what your character's doing, you're seeing what they're doing, but that's not what your focus is. Your focus is on the space between because you need that for footsies, you need that to hit confirm, you need that for all of the stuff you need to be doing, the space is that what matters. And I think there is an element of that here as well. Um, Darren, how about you?
1: Yeah, I've, The um... uh, graphical style. So the second one for me, because it's a second game, I, I do feel like yeah. it offers a lot more to the eye. But the first one's yeah. quite interesting in, in its design, because a lot of the backgrounds and the, the, the buildings you're running through, with the exception of the forest and the train, like the, most of it you're running on like on a grey background. Like I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to generalise for the whole game, but the, the colour palette for me wasn't for the first game wasn't that exciting, but that helped me pinpoint where my character was and where the enemies were and where the bullets were. You know, it it all kind of fed into what kind of why I don't really play shmups is because I can't see what's going on. Whereas in this game, when you're running for a grey office building and a red bullet, you know, a barrage of red bullets are coming at you, you kind of know where your pink hair is because Rin's got pink hair, (laughs) which is brilliant. And it kind of puts it all into perspective without you really knowing it. And it kind of, it really helps the flow of the game. The, the second one has a lot more flourish, and as I said, it looks, yeah. it reminds me of a Sonic game. Um, But overall, the the aesthetic reminds me of when, when I was a kid, and uh, my mate, I used to go around my friend's house and put the Amiga on. It reminds me of an Amiga game because it's got that kind yeah. of chunky aesthetic to the visuals that, that only I can describe as an Amiga game. Like, I had a Mega Drive, yeah. I had a Snares yeah. at times, but when I put the Amiga on, I just thought, this is a little bit better than my consoles. What's going on? <laughs> Why does you know Dojo Dan look better than Mario? What's going on here? I don't really understand. <laughs> there's, there's a quality to an Amiga game that I can't really put into words on a podcast because it doesn't really work like that. But the, the Amiga has a certain quality, and I do feel like Bleed apes yeah. the um, the style of an Amiga game.
0: Oh, it's good to hear. Um, I've got this weird thing where uh, the, the first game Bleed, when I think of a level, I inevitably end up thinking about the dragon interior and that is exactly as you said it's to my memory just sitting here now monochrome background reddish like very grid based blocking out for the level i can almost zoom out from that and i can see the very block based grid you know this this the the kind of default way of doing a platformer is everything's locked to a grid you know how many uh, you know squares of the grid your jumps can be and your spaces between your your ceiling and floor can be etc um that's what comes to mind and that's that's probably not fair to the game because there is stuff like the train level that is more colorful there's more to it but it does have that feel of it's uh it's what it needs to be to serve the level design and the the game so that you can focus on where the bullets are, where the enemies are and where Rin is and not be overly distracted by it. Um, but, but I have to say for something that we could loosely term pixel art aesthetic, um, I really liked it. And I thought um, Rin obviously gets the most in terms of design and in terms of uh, animation. Uh, but even the enemies like the the, um, the cats that jump at you in I, th- I think the first level is, is isn't it yeah it's the it's the uh, opulent manner um th- there's character to them there's not many frames of animation in, in well not m- not many compared to you know A game or whatever um but there's a lot of character to them you know they're pulling a funny face as they jump at you and their body shape changes to to indicate the velocity and the impact when they land etc um there's there is lots to it but uh, yeah I have to say Compared to Bleed 2, the first game feels Mm -hmm. simpler in a way that's not necessarily... um, That's not a criticism, it's just the the way I feel about it.
2: Yeah. I I think if I was to be critical of anything uh, between the first and the second Mm. game, and I'm not flat out saying that the second game's a better game, um, is... And it was reassessed very clearly in the sequel would be the crosshair from the first game. I really did not like. Um, yeah. Whereas the larger styled clear at sea cross allowed you to sort of play in that, you know, that, that Zen state for a little bit longer um, without kind of losing. Yeah. Where, where you were, where, where you were targeting because uh, the crosshair was essentially uh, a white dot. Yeah, which yeah. works really well for something like Quake 3 Arena, but it doesn't work so well when there can be a lot of animation or a lot of movement on the screen. And there were times where I would find that yeah. I was actually aiming nowhere near where I thought that I was. And that wasn't an issue in the sequel where you've got yeah. a crosshair that's not a just chunkier, bigger yeah. in size, but also a different shape. So, well, And um, also
0: the fact that where you're hitting is, a, is a, a space in the middle of the cross means that, yeah, it's... Easier to see where your bullets are gonna land that, rather that than element of precision. Yeah. Um
2: yeah. but uh and, and I'm sure we will break this down further and we're talking about, yeah. you know, character in in the uh in the enemies and the and the cats in the opulent manner. Yeah. Um and this does continue somewhat to the enemies, some more so than others, but like yeah. Battalion, for example, was probably the greatest example of the game really taking a lot of time and Probably the enemy that I would compare the most with something out of Cuphead uh, for for the transitions between yeah, animations yeah, was something that I, you know, one, once I fought that boss, I just absolutely kind of fell in love for a little bit. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I fought the boss and I was like, I need to do this again.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the the fact that you've got a multiple blob enemy that then comes together to make different shapes, yeah, is, a, mm. is kind of a, a big deal uh, in terms of it it does really nicely come together and the fact that in each of its kind of uh forms you've got it throwing out blobs at you as well of different colors uh and you really have to again that's one where you want to keep your eye on several things yeah. at once and you end up kind of looking at the space in between to make sure you're dodging through all of the various individual enemies but then the actual boss itself as well you've got to take a uh, look look out for which is really um strains the uh, the the focus uh, or stretches yes. the focus um so the other part of the aesthetic that i tend to roll in because uh i'm just like that uh the music and sounds uh so in this game all provided by ian campbell himself um as were the art and graphics it, it should be said um mm. all by him um Darren, thoughts on the uh, music and, and the, the the individual sound effects as well?
1: Yeah, um, well, I was trying to remember today before recording like this the soundtrack, and there's only one that really stuck in my mind, and that was when you're inside the giant worm because it's got a really heavy bass line at the start just because mm. you're inside a worm. Why not? And because I died quite a lot in that level, that bass line kind of repeated in my yeah. head for a little while after playing it. <laughs> but the soundtrack as a whole for me didn't really stick around in my head after playing no. it. Um, the main menu theme more so because you know you do see that more often than not um yeah. but you know it's quite cute that she's playing uh, video games and eating ice creams at her desk and stuff like that <laughs> I, I, I just really love like a game that's really it really enjoys itself it's not taking itself too seriously it's like yep she, yeah. she's a cool girl and she's going to take down everyone while eating sundays and moaning about life and writing a <laughs> list about who she's taken down and it, it, stuff like that really like just just sells me on the character even though you know, there's there's a bit of dialogue in there here and there, but ultimately, like there's not a lot to the story. But what happens with the characters like, in terms of you know playing a video game at the start of the second game is just it just works for me. Um But the music kind of came and went. It fits the game really well, like the pace of the game. Yeah, I feel like like the first game has more of a chip tuny soundtrack, and that fits the kind of the simpler nature of the visuals. Sorry to say, yeah. you know, I, I feel like I'm having a go but i'm not and the second game feels like a sonic adventure music and that is kind of like Mm. guitars and really fast and like just just like the second game is it's just always on the go and the soundtrack suits it really well but i couldn't really play a song in my head to um you know to like i would with other games which is a shame but it does suit what's going on on screen but i just couldn't remember it sadly
0: no, I, th- I think you've summed up my feelings on that perfectly, which is in in the menu. I always thought, oh wow, this is yeah, really cool music goes with what I'm hearing. And there were odd times where yeah, I'd get into a boss battle and and the music I'd notice the music because for a second you kind of pause as you know the the room kind of shifts into view and and locks down, and then you're in there with the boss. Um, other than that, it just kept uh, a nice tempo to kind of keep the mm-hmm. pace of the game. Uh, t- at the forefront and it-, it is one of those where i think carl you said it, it does have that kind of zen type feel to it where you do yeah. when you're on a good run you do kind of have that you know that focusing behind the game screen if you like you know you're you're focused elsewhere and i think the music helps with that but that doesn't necessarily mean that the music stands out uh as something that that i can call to memory now if i heard it i'd recognize it but uh away from the game it's not something that i can bring to mind um how did you feel about it carl the music i genuinely found unmemorable
2: um <laughs> it was uh, it it seems strange because if i'm talking about it as a, as an individual item it sounds like i'm being harsh on it when it's inoffensive in the best way so it doesn't get in the way of your focus of playing the game but I don't find it as attractive as so many other scores so it's nothing that I would listen to uh, externally from the title Uh, it's not something like a Shovel Knight for example which is a stellar platform game with a, a similar art style but an absolutely incredible soundtrack this is just something that a little like Darren said unmemorable um, except I can't even remember A-track from it, which is alarming for something that I only played four days ago prior to recording. <laughs> yeah. uh, but at the same time, none of it was bad. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, in this kind of game, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's one of those just where not- they
0: say with, with uh, film scores where... Yeah, they can stand out for being exceptional. They can also stand out for being really bad. So in some ways, what you want is a a good score that you actually, it adds to the experience, but you don't notice it almost, which is an awful thing to say about something that someone's poured so much effort into. But if it fits together well with the, the piece, then yeah, there is that notion of it all folds together into one where you can't necessarily pick out one aspect from another. Uh, I, I I think that's fair. Um, I I don't necessarily have much. I don't think to say about sound effects. I always knew what was going on around me in terms of, uh, what I was hitting, what I was shooting. Because obviously, different weapons have different sound effects as well. Um, and what attacks were about to happen. Lots of sound cues, as you would get with any game. Where I mean, at points, it does kind of feel like a boss rush split up by a few rooms. Um, and and at one point, there is obviously a boss rush. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the, the sound effects always let me know what attacks were coming and, and uh, helped in that respect. Um, but I don't think I necessarily have a great deal more than that to add. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think the yours?
2: best thing I could say about it was that the sound's responsive to the action. Yeah. So everything happens quickly when it comes to the sound, and again, none of it is, in, you don't get any annoying sound effects, which is the ultimate distraction of anything. Um, and there's little quirks to some of the characters that sound quite nice, to some of the enemies, should I say, that sound really nice. Mm. The guns sound good, but nothing that takes your focus away from where it needs
0: to be. I will say one time where some of the sound effects did bother me. It's when it's like the laser bots and it's because I just got hit. So to, to that point of view, yeah, the, the sound of getting hit is suitably frustrating because you're already annoyed that you let yourself down and got hit. So that definitely worked. Get good gems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, those laser bots. Jeez. Dear me. All right. Well, we talked scenario and story little bit earlier. Uh, Darren, you picked out a couple of things you could compare the kind of taking down all of the bosses to. Uh, the one that stood out for me uh, probably because when I played this it was much closer to when this game came out. uh, was No More Heroes. I mean, this is straight up start of the game. It's not even anyone else tells you to. Uh, main character Rin decides that Earth's greatest heroes have been the greatest heroes in exactly the order you fight them in the game uh, counting down from 6 to 1 for so long that they have become lazy and they are no longer worthy of being Earth's greatest heroes and she just decides to take them down Uh, she is a video game player who decides to treat life as a video game uh, and just sets about uh, beating all of Earth's greatest heroes to make it into the Hall of Heroes that's your story so she's a great villain she, that that's your story, and and that well, I guess that is uh, part of the way the story plays out. Of course, that um, as it turns out, everything she's done is seen by people as villainous. It's just they attribute it to someone else, and she gets to be the hero in the end. Uh, but yeah, es- essentially, she is trying to beat all of the the heroes of Earth um, for prestige rather than for any other uh, reason. There's no threat to Earth necessarily. Um, and that that's kind of the setup and, and the story uh the only twist in the story is uh towards the end um when one of the bosses you have fought pre- previously it turns out there was a guy piloting it who pops out and steals your glory for having defeated hmm. all of uh earth's heroes and then rin decides to take him down too uh Fair to say that's the story in a nutshell. Is there anything you'd like to add in terms of how it hit you, whether the tone of it worked well? I know, Darren, you mentioned that the, the tone at the menu screen kind of sets the scene well hmm. for who Rin is. Uh, did you feel that kind of carried through the story well?
1: Um, I don't, I, most like the music, I don't really remember what happened in the story, but um, other than it being quite self-aware at times, um, there's, a, there's a blonde guy near the end and he comes in you know you mentioned him a minute ago hmm. and they, I think they literally say at one point who are you and he's like I was at the start of the game in the yeah. cutscene what you're talking I, was I, was like, whole I, intro. Felt, I felt I felt exactly the same like <laughs> he was in the intro he popped up and I was like who's that guy and then the game referenced it and I was like okay the guy who made this game he obviously knows yeah. what's going on <laughs> and you know yeah, that kind of helps that the, the game's so frantic and fast-paced, and you know you do you do fight a lot of bosses, yep. which kind of had my back up at first. But the stuff that happens around the bosses—so I think at one point in one of the games, I can't remember because they're bleeding into each other—you <laughs> um, you fight a boss on a like a wrestling ring or. a... Boxing ring, and everyone starts throwing roses in at you, <laughs> yeah. the, the character. Yeah, and I thought, I thought to myself, what happens if I shoot the roses? Can I juggle them? And yes, yeah, I can. could. I could juggle. Yeah, this, you can pull I your like, katana out and juggle them as well. yep yeah. I was like, this guy <laughs> knows what he's doing because that gave me goosebumps. And when a game, when a game responds to your brain, like going, what if I can do that? Oh, I can you feel like you feel clever? But yeah, obviously, very
2: rarely have you found a game that responds to your
0: brain, <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's getting harder by the day. <laughs>
0: Uh no, uh, absolutely. I think that's the thing. This is a very self-aware story. Uh it is a protagonist who plays video games and wants to be the hero, which is after all what a lot of video games are. Uh I think it's fair to criticize for is that it's just a power fantasy and that's th- this is a, a I suppose a takedown of the power fantasy where you're just defeating heroes for the sake of defeating heroes. There's there's no other Impetus obviously B two changes that up, but the first one uh, here doesn't. And then someone steals your thunder, and so what's the answer? We'll probably beat them up as well. Um, Carl, how about you? Anything from the story uh, that, that you'd like to particularly mention? I I did like the fact that as I was playing it,
2: I did have the thought in the back of my mind that I'm the villain here. Ah. Um it, it was almost that sort of uh, thingy uh, thingy web and David Mitchell. Sketch yeah, of yeah. where the where playing where the, the Nazis and they look at each other and go, Are we the bad guys? <laughs> um and that that's how I felt. And then when the the sort of kill gets stolen at the end and everyone hates it, when someone steals a kill uh, <laughs> then all of a sudden he's the villain for beating all the hero uh, for beating all the existing heroes. Yeah. It did that did get a genuine sort of a, a chuckle out of me for that, um because I I appreciated that it had Hacked back to my original thought that I've got to be the villain if I'm beating up the good guys for no reason yeah uh, yeah see yeah, so yeah I, I quite like that I like the introduction of um the the blonde enemy uh yeah. whose name completely eludes me because it doesn't matter well, it, it, in he's this blonde. one he's
0: he's literally referred to on the uh on the final mission intro screen as that blonde idiot uh and mm. i don't I don't think it's until the sequel that he's referred to as the rival or rival um, yes. but but in this game he's just that blonde idiot yeah he's literally some guy who pops up and and steals your your well as it turns out steals your blame hatred you know in terms of the way the the population of earth reacts to him um I suppose the other character to mention is the newsreader who pops up more in Bleed 2, but is also in this one. Yeah. Uh, which mm. uh, look, that that character, I don't think they have a name other than newsreader, looks like they're straight out of Parappa the
1: Rapper to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Frog, slash yeah.
0: sunflower? I
1: don't yeah, know. Yeah, Frog Flower. <laughs> yeah. Frog Flower Man. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I do love a good, like,. Uh, I, like a news bit, you know, like in DMC, like the, that kind of thing where it's like there's there's a fake news reader talking about fake news. Ah, oh, like the yeah. I, I, in Bleed Two, that really really captured me as like, I wonder what he's going to say next about you know. Yeah, the j- just their
0: spin s- on what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. oh, yeah. It, it did it, bring about a better
2: connection, didn't it, between uh, levels as well. It so uh, like the story wasn't needed, but it was appreciated that it brought some form of. Mm. Uh, closure about yeah. why you're going environment to environment or what's happened or mm-hmm. the the essentially the flow of time that's happened.
0: Uh excellent. So we've we've talked story and um Rin. There there are some unlockable characters um which I have only beaten up to normal. I haven't beaten hard or very hard. So um haven't unlocked either of those. Uh but as with uh Bleed Two the what the unlockable characters do is um just slightly changed the way that you interact, the way that you fight. So for example, you unlock Robo Rin if you beat the game on normal. And that means that, uh, your, um, stop time energy, uh, increases every time you dodge and deal damage to to enemies. So it just means that you can't rely on it auto refilling. What you have to do is make sure that you are dodging and hitting enemies in order to get enough energy to stop time. Yeah. Just slight tweak to the gameplay. Um, something you can then go back in, but I didn't particularly feel the need to deviate from playing as Rin. I found that once I got handle on the way I wanted to play, mm. I was kind of happy to stick with that. And bosses. Darren, you mentioned there's a lot of bosses. There are, I think there's only one level where there's a single boss. Other than that, it's always two or three or way more bosses if you count the boss rush as mm. individual bosses in the Hall of Heroes. Um... I don't think we need to necessarily mention every single one. There are seven different missions. So six uh, heroes you're taking down. Plus then you have to take down that blonde idiot um, in the last one. Um, we've already uh, touched on Battalion as as a boss that uh, certainly two of us uh, really liked. Uh would you guys have any in particular that you'd like to pick out and mention as particularly good, particularly bad, particularly memorable, you know, just whatever? Yeah, Mm. uh, personally, Mm.
2: um, and this this leads somewhat into the level as a whole, Yeah, the giant dragon level, I hate. (laughs) I cannot stand it. I really dislike the way it opens up with the, uh, the apple. you're essentially in a big carved out apple, yeah. because why not, oh, yeah. and and then, you know, if you don't move across the level fast enough, as it drops, you've got to be in the gap to go down, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and I just felt like it was a man- mechanic that was unneeded, we'd not experienced it till that point, mm. and it wasn't fun and it just caused more frustrations than enjoyment. And even if it had controlled better in that sequence, I still don't think it was something that would have made the game a better thing for it. Hmm. Um, but I quite liked pretty much every other boss, yeah. uh, which is quite unusual for me. Um, hmm. Some were more original than others. I mean, the the ones where you've got the, the, the two earthworms. Gibby and Stew, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, Gibby and Stu that felt a bit uh, like I've done this before several times <laughs> um, I, I think it was the same for a, a few there was the uh, the, the White Mark 2 in the high security complex was something that I feel like I'd seen before uh, the Bunny Raquette boss felt like something that I'd seen before but that's not necessarily a bad thing because it handled them well um, so I enjoyed those battles for the most part I thought Gibby and Stu I could have you know give or take it but the whole giant dragon level uh, was not keen on at all uh, whereas in the second one uh, the wrestling arena boss fight uh, I really did yeah. enjoy Yeah, that that was really nicely done I liked the whole design of that and I, I, mm. I did enjoy the boss rush back through the uh, hall of heroes
1: <sighs> yeah, that, yeah that dragon level for me you're right it throws that mechanic in Such a high difficulty curve that I found it frustrating, and I said earlier I found that beginning part of the music so repetitive. But that's because I kept dying. Yeah, that's because I found that bit really hard. Um, the the game's really good with throwing new mechanics at you at all times, you know, or new ideas or new and and just new stuff all the time, and it never feels cheap. Apart from that one, that one level, I was I felt that was just an unnecessary kind of difficulty spike. I thought they could have introduced that mechanic. In a previous level, an easier difficulty, and therefore we're now prepared for this. Yeah, it seems to come out of nowhere, and you know, it just not very good. It it feels really,
2: it feels, it felt like a rough copy of a mechanic that was to be implemented and polished later on. Um, Whereas whenever they brought new mechanics in, like the zero gravity or the uh, tilting of the world when the lobs would drop towards you and. Uh, having to rush through a level but shoot the doors open, um, they were all felt like they were implemented superbly well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, And then, and then this sudden bit where you're dropping down in an apple. I, I just, think um, I
0: don't know. Visually, because obviously the idea is you've you've stowed away inside an apple that the dragon's eaten in order to get into its heart, which is its only weak point. Um, so visually and thematically, I think that's actually really cool. But yeah, I think the problem is that I don't. There aren't many other games where you have to do a lot of quick, relatively precise platforming. Essentially, um, generally you can kind of take your time, even when you're dodging lasers and stuff. You can take your time, pick your moment, uh, and that is just and and the I think. The, the issue I had, uh, I did struggle a bit with it as well. Is that it's it's insta kill. If if you essentially fall off the screen, or rather fall up the screen, where you don't make it down in time, uh, it's just you're dead. The the dragon um, heart level also has the re the red blocks you have to shoot, and then they reappear. And actually, it's pretty difficult to get stuck in the blocks. Um, but if you do again, that's insta-kill and it's just, there there aren't many other places in the game where uh, there's situations like that where you're just going to die straight away uh, with not necessarily any warning, which I think is why it stands Mm. out Um, other than that uh, I thought uh, on my first playthrough that the core bosses, so like the halfway bosses on most of the levels are robot bosses, and as it turns out, quite Possibly, it's it's always the blonde idiot who's in those, or at least he's in one of them. Uh, so it kind of would make sense if he's in all of them. But um, I I thought I was going to be annoyed by them because they were just a mini boss on the way to the regular boss. But actually, looking back, I, I think Chopper Core is a fantastic boss in terms of teaching you patterns and how you're going to have to use your paws time uh, or slow time and um d- dash mechanics in order to dodge different patterns i mean the first time i saw that hail of bullets i was i was indignant that i there was no way i could do anything about this i wanted a block or a parry button i, I almost uh, yeah take a shot almost in that dark souls way i just wanted to turtle behind the shield and pick my moment to attack and that's not the point of this is use the tools you have not the tools you wish you had and you realize mm. that and the, the um spider core another example when it jumps across to you first time you're not ready for it and then every time after that it was rare that i got caught by its jump and didn't dodge away from it and by the way pull out the rocket launcher and get a few good hits on it while it's jumping um just like the the core bosses if if we call them that that are all kind of robots um really did a great job of teaching you how to uh, build score how to dash and do all that stuff and they were really cool the the mantis one on the train as well again first time it's slamming its um bladed feet down onto you and it's frustrating because you don't know the timing and then before long you're just dodging left right every attack it's just it's laughable that any of them should hit you when you get to yeah. a certain point you know when you're going through to s rank the boss or whatever um it really is laughable but but really good fun yeah uh,
1: so you know the if I'd have known there were so many bosses in this game, I yeah. don't think I would have been that excited to play it. Yeah. But yeah. upon playing it and having to deal with the bosses one after one after one, you know, I, I found myself thinking, "Yeah, this is actually all right. I, I don't really like boss fights unless they're obviously yeah. done well. I find that every time I encounter a boss, I just think, oh no, this game is going to have a difficulty spike and it's going to, you know kill yeah. me and i'm gonna have to just struggle with it mm. um metroid prime for example is a famous one for my head it's just like oh no we're a boss this is gonna be ridiculous <laughs> uh, but bleed is just it's really confident in its bosses and you know it does yeah. have a few mishaps but there's some really uh, really brilliant bits where you're kind of doing the old Gandalf link tennis with an orb thing and you're pinging <laughs> back a ball and you know you're on top of a <clears throat> like a truck that the uh, the blonde idiots driving and you know you're teaming up against another there's just a lot of really fascinating moments that i never really thought i'd see from a one-man team there's yeah the, the, the transitions between environments where i think you you beat a, a core bot and it, it drills through the floor. And then I thought, am I going to fall down there? And you do. You fall down there. And it's yeah. the transition reminded me of Bayonetta. You know, like the the free-falling, fighting a massive thing in the sky. And the, you know, the, the, there was another bot above me, or the same bot in a different uh, form, fighting me as I was falling through the, the sky-land uh, ground. I don't know what it was. I can't remember. But, yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. I just thought to myself, there's some really cool <clears throat> moments here. And you yeah. don't really see this kind of flair from a one-man team you know Dust of Legion Tale is an example of a really good one-man game yeah. but um, I just thought to myself uh, the pace this game's moving at it's really confident in dealing bosses out one after one you know again and again and again and just throwing out new scenarios that are fresh and interesting yeah I, I, yeah, yeah I just yeah. it really kept, th- it really helped me through and uh yeah well done for balancing so many bosses <laughs> so I- in, in quick succession
2: it came across as a game that was developed without the worry of ending too soon yeah um yeah. which again it comes across as something negative and it's intended the complete opposite way because i've there are so many games that outstay their welcome yeah um, even great games that I have loved up until that point, and you just get to the point that you're like, I wish this would finish. Like, yeah. seriously. Yeah. And it starts taking, you know, if you were to score the games, it starts taking the points back away from itself <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. it should have ended. And this is a game, it's in that, I, I think, if, if, if you've been you, stretching it out an hour and a half each, an hour each, 45 minutes each, it's in that ballpark. I mean, time and you it's know all the better levels for it. As
0: well, um, like- five minutes a level tops. So, uh, next thing to talk about, we've talked a lot, I think, about the jump and dash, so unless there's anything more you guys want to say, I definitely want to mention... Sorry, yes, go ahead, Darren. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I found that I had to swap the left trigger and right trigger uh, controls for it to work in my brain, because having... Rin on the left and it not being the jump button, I think. Is that right? I think it's right trigger by default to jump. It just didn't work in my head as a thing. Right, I I don't know what's trained me to think that way. but
0: That makes a certain amount of sense because you're moving with the left thumbstick, so then you want your movement Movement on the left. left, Yeah, yeah. that makes a certain amount of sense. Um, Yeah, it's worth saying it is kind of weird. In, a, I suppose, a Bayonetta style, you have... um, jump on your right trigger by default and that's your dash as well Uh, and then you've got your slow time uh, which I've put in the notes bullet time are we still calling it that? It seems to make sense, I mean in Bayonet it's witch time but bullet time is kind of a catch-all for it's going to slow down and you can do some cool stuff now (laughs) Um, uh, and that's on the left trigger i stuck with it like that and i was happy but obviously when you see a platformer your default is to think the jump's going to be the a button on an xbox controller or whatever Mm -hmm. you know and that's just not the case and i found that worked for me because i never i wanted so rarely to take my my thumb off the right thumbstick because i was using it to shoot that I liked the fact that actually I didn't need to move it um, to the point where uh, in the second game I was slightly... I thought I wanted to use the katana separately um, rather than relying on it being tied to the jump button so you would jump and use the katana in in one motion. Um, And actually I found that... uh, I couldn't work it if I made the face buttons integral to the game. I needed my, my thumb on the stick. Um, so so it makes sense that it's the triggers. Uh, but I think in both games, they are the controls are pretty mappable and customizable, so, mm. which is a great thing and not something, uh, I don't know if that was the case in the X-Play game, but um, in the next big version but it has been the steam version since i ever played it and controller support was uh, there from as soon as i played it which is great um i i know you can play it on mouse and keyboard and it's hard that's how i played it i guess the the we were talking about the reticle earlier carl that makes a certain amount of sense as a, a directional mouse pointer i suppose but uh i i yes i can't necessarily imagine playing an action game on mouse and keyboard so i just went for controller by default um it, it's probably worth you uh mentioning that now uh in terms of playing on mouse and keyboard and why you decided uh to to opt for that um right this is going to sound like the worst reasoning
2: of all time Oh good. I couldn't be bothered getting the USB cable. <laughs> okay, that, yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> that might be up there actually.
2: <laughs> so, I played the first game and I thought I'll try it with mouse and keyboard and do you know what? It actually felt quite good. You yeah. know, you move the yeah. the crosshair around like a mouse pointer yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. like that. Um, and it worked. The one issue and the one reason why I would probably recommend playing with a controller. Mm is that when it came to utilising the double jump whilst moving around uh, an area of numerous enemies, Mm. it was hard to find that level of precision right? that allowed you to always feel in control. Um, And this is the kind of game that is... It lives right on the edge of being razor sharp. Yeah, Yeah. So everything you do is... Split second response to do it in that moment. Sure, and yeah. it was maybe sixty, seventy percent of the time it felt that way on controller, on there, on mouse and keyboard. Yeah. And then you know there was like thirty percent of the time you couldn't understand why your movements, whilst dash and air jumping, weren't how they, mm. you know, should have been. And I can say
0: it should have been because you know that there shouldn't be like this. It, it feels. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. feels off. And, and well, uh, it, it was an x game initially, so it was designed yeah. for that control. Um, in terms of, yeah, when I saw the reticle, I almost thought, oh, is this a hangover from having designed this on PC? Because... In some ways, I know we mentioned how useful actually it turns out to be, but in some ways I look at that and think, well that's clearly a mouse pointer that they just left in and forgot to take out of the console game. Uh, Because you can always see what direction your bullets are going, like in a Geometry War style, but actually I think it does help having that there, so that given that you are often dashing in one direction and shooting in another. Um, and having to kind of control your direction you're moving uh, very organically, uh, it actually helps to have that visual cue as to where your shots are going. Um, but yeah, I hadn't actually appreciated that if you're using W A S D for for movement, you can you can put in the eight different directions. But how would you put in, you know, north northeast as opposed to n- northeast? um yeah for, for example whereas on a, a analog stick you've got 360 degrees of movement and as, as you do when you're shooting you can just roll around the outside to tweak the the direction you're moving on your dash so yeah i guess on mouse and keyboard you effectively have an eight-way dash as opposed to 360 degree dash technically i mean yeah. you can still like after touch the the dash to to change the direction by you know um leaning more heavily on one direction than another but yeah i guess that's a that's a difference i hadn't actually appreciated that that does make me a little bit glad i played on controller but it's good to know that it, it works um as expected on on mouse and keys as well yeah
2: it worked well enough for me to complete it on both games on me oh, exactly uh, and and so.
0: that's certainly when you start off normal is no mean feat uh when i started playing on normal i certainly died a fair few ta- few times um uh, Cool, excellent. Uh, So in terms of combat and weapons, uh, a bit like something like Bastion, I don't necessarily want to go through in painful detail each individual weapon. Um, There's a couple of default weapons, dual pistols, rocket launcher. Then there's some that are purchasable. Uh, your score that you get at the end of a level tots up into essentially a currency that you can spend in an in-game store. Uh, I'm wary of using currency because it sounds like you're, paying money or something yeah. but it's it's all in game you your score you can then spend if you like on um on on weapons uh, and there's a bunch in there uh, there's some that i uh, used and tried out and, and found a lot of use for like shotgun or as i mentioned flamethrower in the final battle um, katana in this game i barely used Aside from going back to it, once I realized in the sequel, you could parry some bullets with the katana and I wanted to check and see if you could in the original. Uh, but I actually found even once I tried to use it, you can parry so few bullets throughout the game, relatively speaking, that it, I, I just it's not worth the risk. Kind it. of thing. And it's such an up close weapon that I didn't find much use for it when, for the most part, I wanted to kind of be at a distance. Um, Remote mm. Minds didn't use, uh, no no idea even how they work. I didn't even go and check it out, I'm afraid. Uh, and then some of the unlockables you get for beating the game or beating the story mode on different difficulties are like uh, remix versions of original weapons. So homing missiles are rocket launchers, but where the rockets travel a bit more slowly and kind of track the enemies a bit, but not... not um, Perfectly. Um, and then akimbo pistols are a uh, uh, forwards and backwards firing version of dual pistols. Chainsaw is the flamethrower, but with a, a narrower, um, narrower point of attack. Uh, and then you actually get white, which is one of the bosses. Uh, I, I never unlocked it because it's only on very hard that you unlock that one, uh, sadly. And I haven't beaten the game on very hard story mode. Um, I've beaten it on hard now, but very hard uh it's going to take me a long time to build up to that. Um, did did you have any particular favourites? What was your what were your go to pair? Uh, and did you change them for particular fights at all, Carl?
2: I honestly loved the dual pistols uh, from the first. Yeah. I, I yeah. felt that they worked really, really well. Um, and it's interesting that you didn't use the katana in the second one
0: that often because no, the first I one I u- didn't use it. Uh, from the second one, that's what made me think, maybe yeah. I should try it in Bleed. And then I went back to Bleed and just didn't find a use for it. But in the second one, yeah, absolutely, I used it a lot.
2: Yeah, because I was going to say, when I played the second one, I utilised the uh, katana purely as a way to dash quickly through levels mm. and clear yeah, yeah. Uh, clear enemies as always you know, as a, uh, crossing the plane of the screen as fast yeah, as yeah. possible. Um, and I found that fantastic, but I was pretty—I didn't even really get on with the rocket launcher that you start with in the first game. Right. So I used that quite sparingly, and primarily just used the pistols.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, th- re- I think re-
2: really boring.
0: But that's no, that's no, kind of I, what I, I think. Was. There's a reason the pistols are the default weapon. Uh, rocket launcher I found against a couple of the core bosses. Uh, I mentioned spider core, chopper core, actually pretty useful as well at times. Um, but yeah, I ended up going for dual pistols because the rate of fire is so high that you can generally keep track of the enemies quite well and know that you're going to hit them. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and that was, was pretty darn good. As I say, shotgun and flamethrower, I pulled out on a couple of occasions where I either had swarms of enemies to deal with or, uh, you know particular bosses that I worked for, uh, but yeah, no katana, I only didn't find useful in in the first game, and the only reason I thought to try it really was because of how useful it was in the second um but we'll we'll talk more about that in a sec, um. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's entirely fair. Um, Weapons-wise, Darren, did you have uh, go-to favourites? The pistols and the
1: sword. Sorry, <laughs> the pistols and the sword. I mean, yeah, there's fair. a reason why she's the you know she's doing the backwards John Woo dive with dual pistols in the artwork because yep. it feels like that's what she should be firing. I dabbled yeah, with the yeah. rocket launcher here and there, but I didn't use the katana for the first game at all. I, yeah, to be honest, yeah, they, yeah. They didn't even know it was there unless I think I saw it in the shop and went, "I'd have more health, please." Um. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. The, but the yeah. second game kind of thrusts it upon you as an essential part of the game, which I, you know, I yes. really think it is. And I didn't even. Well, yeah, I didn't even think about going back to the first one and trying it out there because it didn't really yeah. seem like it was that kind of game, despite it having pink. Um, yeah. You know, projectiles.
0: So, so in the first game, the katana only parries blue projectiles, right. and the blue projectiles. It's not like the second game where they are fair to say cuphead style kind of. <laughs> they appear periodically amongst all bullets so no matter what you're fighting you're gonna get some bullets you can reflect and sometimes it's built into the pattern of the boss uh like mantis core has um the three pink bullets in the middle and then the the six on the outside and, and on its different alternate fire patterns so you can always guarantee to have something to reflect whereas the first game there are particular boss attacks that have blue bullets um, and and you can, like you can in the second game if you get the timing right, you can just fire every single bullet away from yourself and it's really effective because it has such a wide arc um, that it swings through and it's very quick but the there just aren't enough parryable bullets to the point where I wanted to to, to have that as an option to switch away from the, yeah. the dual pistols really um, so yeah, I, I think all the weapons are kind of usable, but I mean, I tried laser rifle and the, the problem is the slow rate of fire. Again, it's great having something that goes full screen, um, but it's tough to move away from those dual pistols. I think, it's as you say, Darren, there's a reason they are the default weapon. There's a reason they are on the, the box art, if you like. I know it's not box art, but the, the cover art, if you want. Um Dual Pistols will always be cool in this game, just further
2: proves that <laughs> it fact. It does indeed. It, dual Pistols almost make John Woo Stranglehold a
0: decent game. <laughs> hey! That's how John good Woo's Dual Pistols John Stranglehold is are. a decent game, or it was back in 2007 when I played it. Um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, coming soon to Canerun's... No, not this volume anyway. Um very quickly want to touch on there are different modes we've talked about story mode which as i say seven missions long you go through in order crossing the names literally off the list of the menu um there's another couple of modes that i think is worth mentioning so arcade mode. i thought oh that'll just be replaying each level to get high scores no (laughs) i tried to play this on easy and i got through to the third mission which i thought i was doing pretty well at and then just got creamed. As soon as I d- got any crisis of self-confidence and started losing a bit of health, I just got absolutely wiped. Because arcade mode is a one credit completion. You get one life. It does not refill at the end of a mission. Uh, uh, so w- when you die, you die kicked back to menu. That is you done. Um, and for anyone who's tried this on, you know, started the game up on normal uh, and you see how kind of quickly you can die. Uh, and the fact that when you play story mode, there's not much punishment for dying. Um, you die, it restarts you to the, the... the checkpoints are very generous, it's basically to the start of the room or you know section, but it's not even to the start of the level. Um, and so you're never... unless you're going for a high score or you're getting to higher difficulties, you're not encouraged to think that you need to run it perfectly for any other reason than you might want to, ex- until you get to arcade mode. Um, and then the other mode is challenge mode where you can pick uh, three bosses it can be any of the three in the game or it can be all the same one Uh, three bosses to face simultaneously and you can choose the difficulty level Uh, i fought um guppy is it yeah guppy uh three guppies on easy and uh, managed to beat it first time but it was skin of my teeth stuff uh the boss boss rush uh, i don't think we mentioned you fight two of each boss simultaneously, except Gibby and Stu, which I think there's three of on screen at once. Um, and so it's it's a version of that that is quite difficult, because obviously there's a lot going on and a lot to manage. But good fun. Um, there's also Couch Co-op, uh, which is a drop-in couch co-op. You can uh, fire up a second controller. Uh, or you can have one person controller, one mouse and keys, I think. Uh, It took a while to get patched into the Steam version, I believe. I saw one or two comments about it not working as intended and needed to kind of get put in. Um, I I didn't try it. I'm guessing you guys didn't have a chance to either, but it's, as I say, only couch co-op, no online, which I can't imagine how online would work uh, in terms of uh, latency and and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, Anyway, uh, but it's there. Any comments about various other modes, Uh,
1: guys? I know you haven't tried them, but I'm just impressed that this this one guy has (laughs) done more in these two games than so many other games. You know, failed to do so. Like customizable controls is so important, like, but not many games do it. (laughs) Like, not even many games have pad support... Halo doesn't even have Couch Co-op anymore, I don't think. <laughs> it got,
0: got taken out, didn't it? Don't get me started and then maybe that. put back in. Yeah. Me, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, but, you know, to have all these things just in a game that is just yeah. so well designed and then just go, yeah, Couch Co-op because I can. You're like, mate, like, well done. like, Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. like... In theory, that was us just covering Bleed, although as as you obviously listening have, have noticed, we've been kind of bleeding from one end to the other in terms of what we're talking about. Uh, but I do just want to quickly mention um, Bleed 2. It's not yet a year old, which makes it a bit of an anomaly to be covered on Can Rinse. Uh, it's certainly amongst a kind of uh, relative few games that we've covered within a year of release. Um but I think definitely worth mentioning here. Uh, same developer, but Disc Revolution, um, same situation with publishing, Digerati Distribution are um, putting together an Xbox One version that's already up for pre-order and has been since, it was like November or something. It was really early, like three, four months before it's due to come out. Uh, it was up for pre-order on Xbox. There, There is... Uh, on a couple of trophy sites there are listings for ps4 trophies it's not available on the store to pre-order but that might just be a situation with playstation where they aren't putting it up Uh, so i haven't been able to confirm whether it's coming to ps4 day and date with xbox one as it did as bleed did Uh, but i'm assuming so apologies i can't confirm that Um, already out on steam uh, so this time around uh, Ian Campbell is designer, programmer, writer and artist, although there are more names in, in this one um, so Yukio Kalio, apologies if that's not the correct pronunciation, it could be Jukio Kalio uh, the, the the soundtrack, original soundtrack is credited to, to him uh, additional music, particularly the music for the showdown, which is the final uh, yeah, final mission Yeah, um, is Hideyuki Shima uh, sound design, uh, Junus Turner. Uh, again, apologies if pronunciation on any of these isn't correct. Um, assisting sound design, uh, Nino, Nilo Takalinen. Um, and then Mac and Linux ports for the Steam version uh, by Ethan Lee. Uh, voice credits this time round, Isa uh, or Isa and. For Rin, Valentine, and Red Sprite, who are three of the characters. Uh, Junus Turner, the um, the sound designer, uh, did voices for Rival, Rex, Rocket, and the stadium announcer. And Ian Campbell himself voiced Plucky. Uh, the game was released 8th of February 2017 on Steam. It's going to be released 9th of February 2018 on Xbox One. And as I said... It, I'm assuming it's coming out around that time on PS4, but please don't shoot me if it's not. Um, reviews on this one, a bit more easy to grab, perhaps. Uh, it being a Steam release first has helped with that, I guess, rather than X-Plague first. Uh, Metacritic, uh, 83. Uh, game rankings, 84.5. So slightly higher rankings there. Um And I kind of just want to touch on any particular differences we want to mention. We've talked a little bit, we've kind of flowed in and out of talking about both games at certain times, but uh, I think we roughly agree that there is a noticeable difference in the way the game looks. Um, I certainly felt that the art style is similar, but, it feels like an up version. Uh, it feels like there's an extra, you know, five years worth of, um, expertise gone into the backgrounds. For example, there's a bit more color, but not in a distracting way. Darren, you mentioned the, the ring at the end for the showdown with, you know, there's tomatoes flying in, there's roses, uh, falling in at one point. Um, there's just some extra visual touches with like in the showdown where all of the um, reticles kind of pop over the character as they're about to get barraged by um, audience projectiles um, uh, and stuff like that. There's extra just touches there that it seems like have been able are able to be done just because of the extra time uh, and what was learned from Bleed that that has gone into Bleed 2. Um Was there anything in particular you guys wanted to say positive or negative about the changes to the the aesthetic?
2: I think positively uh, the biggest one for me was definitely the crosshair, which I mentioned earlier. Um, It definitely looks a little bit better. It runs a little bit smoother. However, I did have screen tearing issues both with and without V-Sync being on. Um, And it was consistent throughout the entire game that the second game was screen tearing that I just could not get rid of. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I so I noticed that initially and then got into the game so much that I forgot to check whether VSync was an option. <laughs> so it's one of those where it started up and I was like, oh, this is not going to work. I can't put up with, oh, I'm playing the game, who cares? Uh, which is, that's maybe particular to me. Obviously, uh, screen tearing will annoy some people more than others. But yeah, I did notice that too. Uh, so yeah, uh, beware of
1: that. Uh, Darren, how about you? Um yeah i i haven't really got much to say about it that's fine it reminds me of when i first played sonic one bleed one and it reminds me of when i played sonic two bleed two It's like yeah it looks familiar but there's so much more color and there's so much more going on yeah it's just yeah yeah. you know that's all i can say about the aesthetic really is that it's just it's just more for the second one and um while i appreciate the the more muted palette of the first game because it helped me see where um, Rin was in you know as I said earlier I I just really enjoyed the second one a lot more because it moves it it moves like a Sonic game but it, it doesn't yeah. play that one but it, yeah. the pace is just always on and the backgrounds that are scrolling just it, the airships and stuff like that it it kind of yeah, feels yeah, like Ian Campbell's a bit of a Sega fan to be honest and uh, I appreciate <laughs> that um, I don't know if you want to talk about other changes oh, in yeah. terms of like, yeah yeah yeah
2: What I I would say, just to jump in um, and completely ignore what you two are going to say, because this is important. (laughs) Uh, One thing I did want to praise about the second game was the increase in accessibility options. Um, Hmm, Noticeably so, there were many options. I know that, Darren, you said that it was easier for you to see the game on the first one, but there was the option to add... Uh, a sepia-like tone over the background. Okay, so you can mute that stuff if you find it difficult. So you you can mute it on a slider to your own preference. There's the ability to recolor your crosshairs. Um, And whilst I didn't have a problem because the crosshair was so much bigger and I quite liked it just being white, uh, I always feel it's important to promote games with positive accessible options. Absolutely. Um, And seeing them
0: in Bleed 2 was something that i definitely appreciated i had not appreciated that there was uh that option to put a sepia filter mm. on it i had not spotted that but yeah absolutely again there are t- games made by hundreds of people that get some of this stuff wrong and have issues uh with stuff like color blindness but stuff like control remapping and stuff like that as well which who am i to say it should be in every game i don't make games i don't know how difficult it is this is a game largely made by one person and they ma- and he's managed to do it in both of these mm. games to a greater or lesser degree uh and I, I yeah absolutely Carl very uh good point to make i think it's really cool that the, that stuff's in here
1: so in terms of differences i i feel yeah. like bleed 2 is a better game but i mm. i miss you know and by that i mean i think the parrying's really good and it's you know essential for the game and but I, I miss the shop from the first game and I miss the <laughs> more platformy yeah. nature of the levels from the first game. And so I can't wish if she feels a Bleed 3. You know, could we have the shop back, please? Because I, I, right. I really like yeah. having, to, you know, going back to the, the desk and, you know, she, she scratches off another, the robot or the worm and, and then you go, oh yeah. yeah, I can spend some of my cool points on some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, because Bleed and Bleed 2, they, they see my like high score games, I can see why they they leaned away from the shop or removed the shop from the second game because if you're going for high scores and you've got all these variables of well oh, I've got this and you've got that then maybe having a, a level playing ground for bleed 2 is a more suitable for high scores you know like mm-hmm. it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense to me that way that you get rid of that stuff to make for a more balanced experience overall rather than worrying about points in the shop and stuff and but I'd, yeah. I'd, yeah. I really like upgrading characters and having some sort of you know some sort of actual feedback of like when you enter the next level you you're doing more damage or you're taking more damage you know like, um, yeah. or oh, you sorry you're you're resistant to more damage so you're you're surviving longer i i, I preferred that about bleed 1 but yeah. the changes in bleed 2 the the pace and just the way it just doesn't really care if you're ready or not it just goes for it and you're like yeah yeah really really enjoy it so pros and cons to both games and uh, you know i kind of want to see the merging of yeah. the two like parry mode in super parry mode in bleed 1 with a shot please but you know that's, yeah, that's just wishful yeah. thinking
0: no i absolutely I, I get what you mean in it, always coming back to that menu gave it th- th- it did make sense for the style of game it was you were crossing off whereas bleed 2 goes for a much more um i don't even know traditional but a much more uh linear narrative that it wants to flow from one level to the other and there's a definite I think there's a definite plus point to that in terms of the pacing of the game. I think it flows from one level to the other, transitions mm. and stuff. The actual transitions on the screen are really well done, and stuff like you know where you're on top of the bus and it floats up out the clouds alongside the um, alongside the airship you're trying to take down. Mm. Uh, that's really cool stuff that you might have missed if it was a level and back to menu, level and back to menu option like the first game. Uh, and I think that is all stuff that seems to be uh, an example of the technical, the increase in technical expertise between Bleed and Bleed 2. But I, I, yeah, I absolutely accept that it loses an aspect of that kind of tongue in cheek. This is a video game UI stuff they had going on in, in the first one. Um, yeah, some of the weapons unlock uh, with. Beating different uh, difficulty levels of the of the story mode, etc., stuff like that. Um, I think I I couldn't tell if it was just a smoother playing experience in terms of the way that the, the animations and the combat and everything flows together, um, or whether it was slightly slower. When I went back to play Bleed after playing Bleed Two, I felt like I was struggling to get my timing right and to keep track of and keep ahead of the bullets and uh, enemies that were attacking me uh, in a way that made me feel like I was a step slow after having played bleed 2 versus bleed, which I'm sure it's not actually any slower, but it just kind of made me feel like that, um, which is just a bit of a weird kind of observation. Um, the The katana default parry, so your default weapons now are dual pistols and katana, but you don't have to switch between the two. The katana... Um, you you use it by default when you press your jump button. Um, and, and, and so if you're not pressing in a direction, you press the jump button, you just use the katana. So there's a bit of kind of managing your movement and how you want to parry the projectiles. And I found that tough to get used to at first. But by the time I had got used to it, again it felt like no this this needs to be in as you said Darren in bleed as well it needs to work this I I don't want to play a bleed game and not have that katana parry mm. there all the time because it just um, adds a dimension as Carl said to the movement it adds a dimension to how you are attacking bosses it's not all dodge and fire back it's dodge parry and fire back all, and you're doing all of them seamlessly at the, almost at the same time Uh, Not even really thinking about it. And that's really cool that they've added something extra into that. And it really didn't, for me, break the flow of the game besides the first couple of levels just getting used to it. I thought that was really cool. If we don't have anything to say on the mechanical changes, uh, it's probably worth noting that the story is quite different. In terms of, it looks like there is some kind of alien attack happening in, in terms of, like, things falling from the sky uh, and Rin as the hero uh, is, uh, is now Earth's greatest hero and an only hero, having defeated all the others, uh, has to respond to that. And all the way through the story, you've got the newscaster putting the kind of PR spin on what Rin's doing and what's going on, which is a really cool take on, you know, we've gone from Rin being the bad guy to Rin being so much the good guy that they are like making comments that accept that she's making mistakes in terms of how long she took to respond to stuff and whether or not her actions are really good, but all with this kind of like PR line across the top, which is Rin is the hero. She can do no wrong as well. It's, it's really kind of weird. I think Darren's reference to uh, devil may cry and the kind of newscaster aspect to certainly one particular level in that game is right on the money here. Um, Carl, how did you feel feel about the uh, the story in in bleed two?
2: Yeah, I much preferred the transitions level yeah. to level. It made it actually feel like a story. Flood, yeah, absolutely. Um, rather than the first game, which was a
0: series of levels. A,
2: yeah. a, a series of levels, yeah. essentially a boss rush into another boss yeah. rush all the way through. You know, um, having uh, having that little bit of comic relief. Uh, this is a game; it never takes itself serious. Sure. So. You know the story is purely there as a way to build structure between what you're doing, um but at least it it went some way to actually, I mean, flesh out maybe paying it too much <laughs> credit, but but add some stub substance there in, into the mod, which which I appreciated because it could have quite easily have just been like a mission select game. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. It, 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 it's not going to be winning any awards, but sure. then again, it didn't go out of its way to try and win awards. And when it, when a game at least adds something, I appreciate that. So yeah, it was uh, the presentation of it with the newsreader. I definitely enjoyed. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think it is worth mentioning that. So in in this one, um, the the bad guy or the the uh, sorry, probably shouldn't say guy. Um, the uh, antagonist is. Valentine, um, who is in charge of this fleet of enemies that you're up against in the, air, she's in the airship, um, and you fight her at the end of the second mission, um, which I think's a really cool twist on what happened in the in the first game where um, you discover that the ultimate bad guy is someone completely other. Whereas this time, she's there up front. She's the bad guy you have to take down, and in that very mission, the second mission, you fight. Um, that blonde idiot, uh, rival, as he's called in this game, and then he joins up with you in to take all of this down. And it changes that relationship completely where um, he is now helping you, has accepted that you are the hero and wants to, to be a hero as well. Um, and then you get to the end, take down Valentine, and instead of him cutting your legs from under you, he just wants to test and see who's the better hero. And so you end up fighting him again, which is a really cool development of that relationship. Um, it's a change to the way this, as you say, Carl, the story flows, uh, where you get to see the the uh, antagonist early on, and then know that you're going to have to go and take her down, and she's going to throw everything she's got at you. Um, and that Valentine uh, fight in the showdown is just uh, it's it's fantastic as a set piece. Uh, it's like uh, Rocky 4 yeah 4 it's full on Rocky 4 where um, for no apparent reason Valentine has supporters you are in a uh, a boxing ring opposite her um, and the crowd is against you and the aim of the fight is to turn the crowd onto your side Um, that's a really cool set piece in what I think is a pretty uh, darn stellar story for something that is a tongue-in-cheek, funny, but relatively simple video game story that strings together a bunch of boss fights. Um, for both of you guys, Darren, will I guess, start with you. Was there anything that stood out about the, I, I guess we can tie story and boss fights together in this because we don't want to drag it drag out too much. Uh, anything in particular about story and or uh, particular bosses that stood out? Um,
1: I, honestly, the games are so merged into one for me, yeah, which is kind yeah. of...
0: Well, especially because a lot of the bosses are kind of repeats, yeah, they're repeats or yeah. tweaks. And,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, I said it earlier, the news guy is a really good introdu- um, you know, introduction to the series. Well, he's probably in the first one. But yeah. again, the games are so cohesive you know, side by side that they do just run into one another. And with the stories yeah. kind of being... To, to me they felt like one day bleed one happened and then and the next day bleed two happened like they kind of yeah. feel like they are <laughs> yeah. you know monday tuesday games and uh yeah um, <laughs> yeah. yeah just all round just really enjoyable but the only thing I, I can really remember is the gameplay like everything else kind of it's kind of yeah. like a sidecar to the motorcycle you know
0: yeah, no I think that's absolutely fair. And yeah, I definitely got that impression too. Uh, I was interested that in many ways mechanically it feels like almost a given that some of the bosses are like they're they're remakes rather than rehashes if you like because there are changes to the the way that you encounter the boss or the arena or the attacks that they use, etc. But it it could have been that this wasn't actually a sequel. It was just kind of a, a, a remaster, a remake of of the first. But you're absolutely right with the story. It's clearly a sequel. It follows on. Uh, it flows the story from one into the next and uh, develops relationships and themes that have been pre-established. Which uh, that's what a sequel does. In this one, worth mentioning, there are unlockable guest characters. Um, the Claude Girl from They Bleed Pixels has the same mechanical change uh, as Robo-Rin that I mentioned earlier. Um, Sissy from Sissy's Magical Ponycorn Adventure. Uh, Rex Rocket from Rex Rocket is uh, actually a boss in the game. Uh, and Shutshimi from the video game, Shushimi. Uh So as with a lot of indie games uh, where you kind of get a certain sharing of characters and cameo appearances and stuff like that, there are some here too uh can't really add much more to it uh than that than, other than just saying there are kind of tweaks on uh and a couple of them again i haven't unlocked because i'm beating I think, the difficulty. Uh, rin
1: has the posters of a couple of those characters on the um on the wall before the robot smashes on the wall yeah. in her room yeah yeah which is quite nice yeah yeah yeah
0: absolutely nice kind of shared universe t- style thing um we have a couple of pieces of community feedback, as always. We include and reach out for on the forum, uh, canerince.com forward slash forum, um, for some feedback from you, the listeners. Uh, and we had a couple on the forum. Uh, Carl, would you like to take Simon Sloth's, please?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Simon Sloth said, prior to the Kane and Rinse playlist announcement, I hadn't heard of this game and ordinarily wouldn't be a genre I would entertain, but I thought I'd give it a try. I'm quite rubbish when it comes to bullet hell slash twitch shoot'em ups, so I was delighted to find an easy mode and play it through to the end. I honestly found it incredibly refreshing to be able to actually enjoy and finishing a game of this type. Often, the learning curve is so steep beyond the first level that I would give up, but it was pitched perfectly so that I could get through the game with some challenge involved, like I said, I'm rubbish at these types of games. Each level added new twists to the mechanics, and in particular, the penultimate level was excellent with the falling apple at the beginning of the rotating screen.
3: (laughs) (sighs) All opinions, uh, Uh, other opinions um, are available. (laughs) (laughs) I
2: I genuinely was disappointed to see the end and felt like I'd only just scratched the surface. Unlike most games which outstay their welcome, this understayed, for the record, I don't believe it is a word, but you do get my point, I would have loved to access this on my Vita as a perfect for, as it is perfect for that console. I doubt I will play this again, which is a shame, but my television time is quite precious and replaying anything is almost impossible. Thank you, Kane and Rince, for starting my 2018 with a
1: bang. Uh, Darren, are you okay to read through Marco's? Marco says, from the forum, the inclusion on a Kane and Rince list will usually make me check out a game I might have previously overlooked. The post above, however, convinced me to buy it and move it to the top of my Steam list. After a few hours of multiple deaths, I've seen the ending on normal. Much of what Simon Sloth says above rings true for me too. In that brief time, I felt my skills improve after what I initially felt were fiddly controls, particularly the analog trigger as the jump. I enjoy playing each level, refusing to stop until it was done. Looking forward to hearing from people who actually are good at the game. Well, I would love to know if it <laughs> continues to be as rewarding as my short blast was.
0: Thank you so much for that. Um, slightly shorter feedback now uh we will take uh one of these each three word reviews on day of recording or shortly before uh on the twitter account at kane and Rince. uh we will put out requests for three word reviews and three people provided three word reviews very kindly uh darren would you like to take the first one mm,
1: the aforementioned simon slough says bleeding good shooter uh
0: john denton um he who is half responsible for getting me to play this game says near flawless design and John Denton's stablemate Chet says <laughs> "intelligent, stirring brisk. Uh, thank you very much to both of those guys, uh, for, for fittingly, uh, providing us, uh, a, a bit of a denouement to the, to the issue by, uh, telling us what they thought and their memories of, of the game. Uh, so, our summaries. Uh, Carl, would you like to kick us off on what you thought of Bleed and Bleed Two?
2: Yeah, I, I've come into playing Bleed somewhat as a way to help the podcast out uh, <laughs> with a with a lack of people, and it's not that it's the kind of game I wouldn't normally play. Um, it very much is. I'm a fan of yeah, platform games platform action games, twin-stick shooters, and this sort of really blends the boundaries of them all. So it, it is, does fit within three criteria. It's just that you know the, the list into Volume 7 of titles that I'm on is quite high, and as a result, I wasn't placed on this, even though I was willing to play them. And sometimes circumstances result in the greatest of reward so to say, and I ended up playing two games that had this circumstances not arisen where a third was needed for the panel, I wouldn't have played two games that I thoroughly enjoyed playing, that took up my Friday night after I returned home from a long day um, and played them back to back and had bar the Dragon Apple level um, level, bar that an absolute rip snorter of a time and i personally think that it, it i don't really want to differentiate into which i think is the better no. game or not um if i was to do that i'd lean towards the sequel but i would separate them into saying that the first game feels more frantic and the second game feels more controlled um and that they are very similar but that that's how I feel. So if you prefer your games a little bit more frantic, you may side <laughs> with the first game. And if you prefer them to feel a little less frantic, a little more controlled, then you probably enjoy the second one. Because at its core, uh, we've discussed them, particularly the difference between going pistols and katana over pistols and rocket launcher in the first it's quite negligible. In fact, you encounter a lot yeah. of the same things in the second game as you did in the first. Mm. Um, and for good or worse, I found elements that I preferred from each. So it's it's a little I couldn't outright say that I preferred one over the other. Uh, I would, however, wholeheartedly recommend someone
0: played both. Thank you very much. And it does... Um calm my anxiety slightly that uh that i i didn't um pressure you into into playing two games that you haven't enjoyed so that's good good to hear um darren how about yourself Mm. your thoughts on bleed and bleed
1: 2 uh i'm going to keep this brief um but it was kind of weird to see the first boss in the first game and think i've played this before but i can't remember when and then have this (laughs) revelation that i'd recommended this game to an indie royale bundle and gone yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to play this game. But <laughs> the Bleed One and Two, honestly, that they're, they're really good games. But it kind, they're kind of the like, for me the prime example of discovery on indie of of indie games. You know, within such a mass market now that's where like Bleed One and Two deserves so much more than what I reckon they haven't got. And I I don't want to talk out of turn, but I feel like these games are underperforming sales wise again i don't want to make uh, wild accusations but i feel like these games deserve better and games like bleed one and two they kind of like not much feedback uh, from community and you know yeah. not much recognition from anyone really Review when you talk about anything, it yeah. 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 It's, the game deserves better and i feel like that they, they kind of fell in the wrong side of like the indie game shoot they went down the the right-hand column instead of the, you know, the left-hand hit column. They went down the right-hand column of, you know, sorry, but you're in the Steam pile now. And it's like, oh, no. These games need to be brought above the Steam pile because they are really good fun. And they just... I, I feel bad for these games. And I'm, I'm glad they're on consoles now because more people should always play all the games. And, you know, availability and options are, are brilliant. Um But... I just can't help but feel that people are going to look at it and go, "No, I've got loads of games to play," and they just leave it, which is a shame because they're really good. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel bad. Like even for me to play the first level ages ago and then just put it down and never come back to it until four years later. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm sorry, Ian Campbell. You deserve better <laughs> than this.
0: Too, too many games, I think, is the uh, is the usual refrain there. Uh, I put myself last. I tend to try and follow Leon's lead in terms of leaving the most positive to last. And I am thoroughly delighted that I don't have to try and big up a game that, that uh, you guys haven't, or games that you guys haven't enjoyed. Um, I wanted I've wanted to do the show for like four or five years, something like that. It's been a long time since I've wanted to to cover Bleed because, uh, and again, it, it's testament to uh, voices in all different manner of, of games coverage pushing games like this, finding them and pushing them to the fore. Uh, we've seen it so many times with all sorts of different games, Nier and Demon Souls and all sorts needed to be pushed. They needed people to discover them and... Bleed is one that I am so so happy to have found. Uh I loved every second. Uh th- these are for me every bit as good action games as I have ever played. Uh yet yeah, sure I listed some running gun games that are all-time classics that I haven't played and maybe that lessens my uh my recommendation but uh I am so delighted to have found these. Uh, So thanks to Chet and John for mentioning them in their podcast. Thank you to you guys for allowing me to come on here and and talk about uh, these and that that goes for uh, Leon, Tony and Jay as well. Um, It is so lovely to be able to hear a whisper about a game that it's good and you go and play it with no expectations whatsoever and you are just smacked around the face. By all of it. I mean, yeah, even as I say, the the Dragon Apple, mechanically, that didn't pull off for me, but the visual, the theme, what, what, the, what Ian Campbell was going for is so cool that there's a sense of humor and a respect for what video games have been, what they are and what they can be. Uh, and I played Bleed 2 through once and I stopped because I've already pre-ordered an Xbox One and I want to dive into that game uh, in February. Uh, l- less than a month from now, or about a month from now, uh, and I want to go full hammer and tongs on that, and that's the only way I can distinguish these two games. I played through Bleed, and I played uh, completed story mode up to hard, and tried the arcade mode, and I kind of feel like I've done everything I can do with that game, and I want now to just go for Bleed Two in a way that something like uh um. Actually, no. I I, I can't think of another game that is a little indie game like this that I've wanted to just replay and replay and replay. I mean, like a Geometry Wars or a Resogun is for some people, that's what this game is to me. Uh, Bleed 2 now, I am so looking forward. Of all of the games coming out this year, it might be the one I'm looking forward to the most and I've already played it. How stupid's that? Um, I can't wait. Uh, I, I think the craft here and having a sequel that is part Remix and part remake and an actual sequel uh, is really cool. I think that's an amazing thing to do and is a nod of the the hat to say uh, a a Mega Man and all the sequels that came after that, that iterated on a theme and added to and uh, embellished and improved. Uh, And I think it's really cool to have something that shows this much craft come from ostensibly one guy, at least the the kernel of it did, even though there was more people on the sequel uh, who all did a fantastic job as far as I'm concerned. Um, Yeah, uh, for me, what a way to start off Volume 7 for at least my contribution towards it with two games that I cannot sing the praises of high enough. Uh, If you spot it in a sale or if you're encouraged to play... uh, when it's not in a sale courage to pick it up uh thank you uh for doing so uh or for even thinking about it um I think these are marvels and the more people that play them the better um yeah that's uh that's our show folks uh, I need to once again I know I've said it several times I need to say a massive thank you to Carl and Darren for agreeing to play these games it's such a delight that you enjoyed them um because I did worry that this was going to be me raving about games that actually nobody else enjoyed. Um, thank you to our correspondents who it's lovely to see that, you know, publishing the schedule uh, encourages people to play games they might not have otherwise. Uh, and thank you to all of you for listening. If you're encouraged to play fantastic. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can find more. Uh, please do Uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you subscribe and if you could rate or review there as well that would be fantastic too our patreon is patreon.com slash canan you will get the podcast one week earlier if you go there and as a teaser next time in issue 303 leon will be chasing scores also some enlightenment and synesthesia bring your headphones and your trans vibrators it's time for res